a trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome to the show. I am so glad that out of all the different voices out there, all the different programs, the different podcasts, you landed on this one. Whether you stay or not, that's up to you. I'll do my best to keep it interesting, informative, who knows, maybe even inspirational. That's reaching, but uh, (laughs) I'm going to reach because, hey, I'll be better for having reached. Hey, our uh, program is brought to you by great sponsors like MonticelloCollege.org, the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage, and, of course, my friend Kendall Whiting at LifesavingFood.com. In fact, if if you've had a little whisper in the back of your mind saying, you know, might not be a bad idea to bolster our food storage. I would urge you to click on the link that I provide in the sponsor links in my show notes at thebrianhydeshow.com. Click on life-saving food and just take a look. That's all I'm asking you to do. Just see what they have to offer. The nice thing is there are different size packages, so whatever your budget happens to be at the moment, there's something you can do. And here's the best part. You mentioned this discount code, HYDE, H-Y-D-E, you'll get 10% off on anything that you do purchase. It's pretty good savings. It's a pretty good idea. Times are uncertain. So if you're looking for some peace of mind, one of the things that will bring that is that sense of self-reliance. Lifesavingfood.com. Well, I I wish that uh, I weren't going to be spending so much time talking about COVID-related stuff, but this is what's driving so much of what's taking place around us. And I, I feel a duty not to beat you to death over COVID, but to, at the very least, offer some counter viewpoints or some some perspective that isn't forthcoming right now from many of the mainstream sources. And it's not because you're dumb, and it's not because you know you need somebody to tell you what to think. I suspect that you find a program like this one because you're looking for somebody to, to just speak straight, tell you, you know, here's here's something to consider, and then let you make up your own mind. So if that's if that's where you're coming from, that is definitely what I'm trying to accomplish. One of my concerns here is that fear of COVID is rapidly outpacing what should be a very justified and healthy skepticism of what unchecked government power leads to. But people are scared. I don't want to get sick. We got to do whatever the government says. And there are just way too many people who are comfortable with the idea of using government force to achieve an outcome. In this case, let's talk about forced vaccination. Came across a great article yesterday from John Tamney. This was on realclearmarkets.com. Freedom from forced vaccination is the only path forward toward broad vaccination. Now, before I start, I'm just going to put my cards on the table here so you'll understand where I'm coming from. If this makes me too radical, you know, you don't have to go any further. But I think we're rapidly approaching a point where you're going to see people openly advocating for using government force, meaning they will send men with badges and guns to force people to hold them down, to restrain them and inject them against their will. 
And we can plead necessity all day long. We can say, well, you know, Brian, it's a pandemic and public health depends on it. It does not change the fact that forced vaccination is an incredible violation of a person's autonomy. Doing this without informed consent from the patient, doing a medical procedure. I mean, I'm, I'm not trying to I'm not trying to be, you know, overly dramatic here, but didn't a lot of people swing by their necks at Nuremberg for things that they were doing just because we were following orders and we did what we had to do? It ain't going to cut it. And I believe out of the Nuremberg trials came protocols regarding medicine, protocols regarding what medical research can do. One of the key things was it cannot be done without the consent of the patient. But this is where we're headed. Not everybody sees it. But those of us who do see it, I think are very rightly concerned. And and here's the reason why. Because at some point, pushing things like this onto a populace that has already been pushed and badgered and cornered and, you know, dictated to, you will do this or else, you know, with the lockdowns, um, there's going to be bloodshed. You know there is. Maybe that's what the the powers that be want, the people who are pushing it the hardest. Maybe they want somebody to snap off and, and you know, shoot someone who's come to, to vaccinate them against their will. Then we have all the excuse to crack down. I pray it doesn't come to that. But it sure looks like that's a collision we're being steered towards. John Tamney says, at the airport this week, it was more than sad to see a mother trying to get her seemingly two-year-old daughter to put on a mask. The daughter was frustrated, obviously confused and crying. The mother didn't know what to do, but there are federal rules. Some would call them child abuse. The crying, confused child over masks brought to mind the bigger debate of the moment about vaccinations. Tamney says it's estimated that a majority of adult Americans have been vaccinated against the virus, but there are holdouts, presumably for a variety of reasons that don't need to be listed here. He says, whatever the reasons for the unvaccinated remaining that way months into the mass vaccination process, wise minds in the political and scientific class should encourage the right of individuals to refrain even if they disagree with the holdouts. They should do so because they crave knowledge. Free people making choices without any force are crucial in the face of a spreading virus. But John Tamney says, sadly, this truth has been forgotten from day one of the virus panic. Going back to March 2020, it was completely forgotten by the political class that freedom is more than a singular virtue. In reality, free people produce crucial information. So applied to the coronavirus, the logical answer with gain of knowledge, top of mind, was for politicians to leave people alone. Some were going to quarantine in total. Some were going to wear masks everywhere while avoiding all human contact. Others were going to be out in public and in public businesses with masks dangling off one ear as much as possible, given their need to socialize sans cloth covering their mouths. And still others, likely the younger ones among us, were going to hit every party and bar they could. Similarly, private businesses were in some instances going to shut down altogether, shut down partially, not at all, and many ways in between. But he says what's important is that the varying actions in response to the virus were going to produce voluminous information about how it really spreads, along with the behavior and level of business openness most associated with spread. Human action was going to teach us about the behavior most associated with good 
health outcomes. While lockdowns based on highly limited information were going to blind us. Now he says all of this must be considered in light of all the vitriol being directed toward the unvaccinated. Supposedly they're selfish for not helping others by getting the shot. Aren't we all in this together? Well, actually we're not. America is not a collective. Rather, it's a collection of people who largely descend from individuals who risked everything in order to get away from collectives. If the vaccinated, the unvaccinated rather, worry the vaccinated or the ill, the vaccinated and ill shouldn't force their fear on those who choose not to be vaccinated. They should just stay home. The selfish ones are those who demand that others do as they've done. Now, just the same, if a private business of any kind chooses to require proof of vaccine in order to enter, then so be it. Freedom cuts both ways. What business owners do on their property should not be the business of government either way. Notable here is that restaurant mogul Danny Myers now requiring patrons to be vaccinated. He didn't need a law. The same Meyer banned smoking in his New York restaurants long before Mayor Bloomberg instituted a broad decree. Meyer didn't need a law in the 1990s either. Freedom works and freedom often leads. After which, some who are passionate about full societal vaccination just can't believe others haven't done as they've done. As New York Times columnist Charles Blow wrote in disdainful fashion recently that there are Americans who are determined to prove that they are right, even if it puts them on the wrong side of a eulogy. In other words, Blow believes the unvaccinated are in the process of committing suicide. But if he's right... Why the need for forced vaccination from the commanding heights? (laughs) Yes, free people once again produce crucial information. And if it proves true that that a failure to vaccinate is the path to hospitalization and death, then John Tamney says, rest assured, broad societal vaccination will soon enough be a reasonable aim. By the way, I agree with him on this. If you can show me that there is a negative outcome likely to affect me, that would do more to change my mind than just simply you don't have a choice. You do this or else. Can you see the difference? Well, Brian, but harm has to occur at some point. And my point is you can't stop harm from happening. The idea that if we just could control people more tightly, we could prevent anything bad from happening. That kind of thinking is what has led to the worst things that have ever happened in human history happening. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Very happy to welcome Liberty Mom Chris Kimball to the program. And uh, Chris, I understand you are in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, where uh, My Pillow CEO Mike Lindell has been uh, has been putting on a cyber conference. What's going on there? This sounds like a big deal. It does sound like a big deal. And what's interesting, Brian, is I don't know who it was. If it was Nancy Pelosi or Homeland Security, they. They said that Mike Lindell was the biggest threat to America right now. And I thought, really? We're having a pillow fight? Wow. That's the biggest threat to America is a pillow fight. <laughs> Actually, but, but the you purpose know. behind this conference, as I understand it, was to, to 
illustrate some of the irregularities and the inconsistencies, if not outright fraud, from last November's election. Is that true? Yes, yes, it's absolutely true. And so it's a gathering of state legislators. So today we've got 48. There's two states, Hawaii and Delaware, who has refused to come. And interesting, Hawaii was Obama's home state and Delaware is is Joe Biden's state. But those two are the only two states. Otherwise, there's somebody from every other state in the nation has arrived here. And uh, we just barely had a demonstration about the importance of taking a forensic audit of the servers with the voting machines. And they, uh, there was a county clerk from Mesa County who was doing her job. People were concerned about their votes, not counting and, and being correctly recorded. And so she started looking into that in her county. And yesterday when she was flying to this conference, the, uh, the district attorney from their state, as well as the Dominion representative, invaded her offices in Mesa County and, uh, uh, and was taking down some of their, you know, scrubbing some of their data off of the servers. And so Dominion is in the process of of doing this, what they call it an update. They're going to every state and and telling the county officials that they need to update their equipment. And when they go in to update it, they actually erase it. And that's violating a federal law that states that all election data has to be intact and remain there for 22 months after election just for the case of an audit, a forensic audit or any type of audit. And so that's what Dominion is in the process of doing. And they uh, were aware of the work that she was doing, trying to uh, investigate the votes in her county. And so they went in and told all of her employees to leave while they went in there with a Dominion employee and went in and took over her equipment. Okay, So that's startling. That is startling. Not only does that break the federal law, but now Dominion is really controlling our elections. How does some private organization get more priority into our election system than we the people do? Wow. It seems like there has been a lot of uh, effort not only to to go back and to to recount and to to audit some of these um, questionable states, but it seems like there's been a corresponding amount of effort and energy being put into preventing that from happening or just trying to head it off. Any thoughts on yeah. uh, on who's doing that and why? Well, that's a great question, Brian. And you have to kind of wonder. Every it, it was interesting because. Uh, Colorado, they say they've got the gold standard for elections. In Utah, we have the gold standard for elections. We don't have any fraud. It seems like that's the message that every state is supposed to be using. And whenever you have everyone using the same messaging, then you realize that it's a concerted effort to make sure people feel that their, their elections were safe in their state. It might have been happening somewhere else, but not in their state. And we have that going on in our state. In fact, our lieutenant governor has 
been requested to turn over the voter information from election day by the state legislature. They've made an official request for her to do that, and she's declined to do that. And one has to ask why. If we have the most secure election, the, the best uh, election process, then what's the harm with looking at it and making sure that all the citizens in Utah feel secure about their vote? I don't, I don't understand that. What are you hiding by, by not wanting to turn over that information? Yeah, you would think if the truth was on their side, they would be laying it all out saying, come take a look right here. Here it is, black yeah. and white. Go over it with a fine-tooth comb. We're not concerned. But I'm, I'm getting kind of the opposite vibe. It's more like, don't look in that direction. Or don't ask these yeah. questions. Why, why do you want to know? They're very defensive. They're very defensive and very condescending. Uh, uh, Lieutenant Governor Henderson was on the news a week or so ago and um, called us trying to, to uh, score political points. Uh, by elected officials who even question, like, how dare you question us? You must be trying to do it for political points. And that could be further from the truth. In fact, you get more backlash by by wanting to bring forward this idea. But the other thing that I thought was interesting is they said that they've taken a survey in Utah and that there's a large number of people, they won't say, the number, they won't give you the numbers. They said a large number of people believe there was voter fraud in 2020 in other states. Mm. But then they said in Utah, they felt like it was a smaller number. But they wouldn't give you those numbers. So does that mean 80% of Utahns thought there was voter fraud outside of this, of Utah? And 60% think that there still is voter fraud in Utah? And if that's the case, that's still a large number of people, more than a majority, and uh, definitely something that we should look at. I mean, we have nothing to lose. If, if they're honest, as they say they are, we have nothing to you lose but, but set the real gold standard for other states to follow by being open and transparent. Why not be transparent? Chris, how long does this conference in South Dakota last? Tomorrow will be the final day. It's been a challenge because uh, there's been a lot of attacks over the internet, cyber attacks, uh, taking down. Uh, Mike Lindell had, I believe he said, four different backups. And yesterday morning, they went through the first three wow. to still get them up online. Yes, there's a lot of um, individuals or, or at powers that be that do not want this information being shared or exposed or getting people educated on what an uh, what a hack or a, a cyber attack could look like. And, and Brian, we learned yesterday how easy it can happen because they've set up a mock election in a room. Uh-huh. So they have all the same equipment that you would see in a, in a county election center, each piece of equipment. And they, they had a wireless server, and within five minutes, somebody in the outside arena with their cell phone had already hacked the server and had gone in and hacked the um, the data. Unreal. This is, was in five minutes. Is there a website it, that you can direct people to if they want to get more information on this? Well, uh, yeah. Actually, frankspeech, F-R-A-N-K, speech.com is where a lot of this information is uh, being uh 
restored at this point. And that's Mike Lindell's own uh, site. So it's not, um, you know, it's not on YouTube or any of these other places where he can be taken down. And so frankspeech.com is on there. And there's a video that they just debuted yesterday. And uh, uh, retired Colonel Waldrop is uh, on it. And he goes through kind of the background on who's connected to Dominion, who are the big players that are part of this uh, this dark web of conspiracy, basically, on who might have been involved in the election. I think people will be really surprised at who the big player is in trying to uh, change our outcome in our election. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. And we are back. Once again, a quick shout out to the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage. They are an equal housing opportunity lender. Heather's NMLS ID is 715-386-386. You can call her at 435-703-4522 or see her office at 619 South Bluff Street in St. George. Bottom line, if you are looking for a mortgage in Utah, the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage is who you should talk to. This is particularly true if you're shopping for a home and you understand it's the most intensely competitive real estate market within most people's memories. So when you find what you want, you better have your financing ready to go. Most Ricky Tick. And this is what the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage specializes in. Decades of experience. They know what the lenders need. They know what the borrowers need. From VA loans to traditional loans to reverse mortgages. Count on the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage. And tell them that uh, you heard about this here on this program. All right, back to the show. Are the fears of coronavirus being overblown? Now, I know how I would answer that, but I'm you know, going to leave this rhetorical for the moment. I will say that narrative managers in the media have been playing up the cases. If there's, a, if there's a scarier way to report the cases, the cases, they're going to do it. I don't understand exactly why it has to be reported that way. But I fear that things are being exaggerated. So before I hop on the bandwagon, I, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm grateful for people who provide charts that the fear peddlers would rather we not see. Looking at a, a post here from Issues and Insights, three charts the Delta variant scaremongers don't want you to see. And I've got a link to this in the show notes at the Brian Hyde Show, so you can actually see the charts for yourself. But listen to this. While the sharp rise in Delta variant COVID cases has sparked a renewed renewed push for mask mandates, lockdowns, and vaccine passports, there's been little attention paid to just how dangerous this variant is. Perhaps that's because the evidence suggests it's far less of a public health concern than previous outbreaks. Now, just how much less of a threat isn't precisely known. But there are ways to gauge the risk. One is to look at the number of COVID cases and the number of deaths happening right now compared with what happened a year ago. What do you find? Well, first of all, there are fewer cases than last year. From June to August this year, there have been more than 2 million recorded COVID cases in the U.S. Over the same days last year, 
the total number of COVID cases was above 3.1 million. Okay, how about deaths? From June 1st through August 9th, the total number of COVID fatalities was 20,149. Last year, the death count was 62,287. In other words, cases are 41% lower than during this time last year, and deaths are 66% lower. You wouldn't know that from the way that it's being reported, though, would you? And by the way, there's a lovely CDC chart showing what they're, dis- what they're describing here. COVID's bite has declined. As Issues and Insights puts it, looked at it another way, the case fatality rate was 1% from June 1st through August 9th of this year. It was 2% over the same days last year. Now, looking at a longer time frame, the case fatality rate all this year is 1.5%. And the case fatality rate for all of last year, 1.8%. In other words, the fatality rate from COVID appears to be steadily declining. And the lower lethality of the Delta variant makes sense. Like any other infectious disease, COVID picked off the low-hanging fruit first, the very sick and elderly. So the case fatality rate plunged after its initial spike in early 2020 when it was around 6%. Doctors and hospitals learned about better ways to treat the disease, no doubt saving lives. And the vaccines that unexpectedly appeared last November have since created a vastly larger pool of people with immunity to the new virus. The vaccinated who are catching the Delta variant are experiencing far far milder symptoms than they would have otherwise. So far, in fact, there have been 38, I'm sorry, 36.8 million recorded cases of COVID. And there are 167 million people fully vaccinated, another 29 million partially vaccinated. That means roughly 60% of the nation either has had COVID or has been vaccinated. Now, even assuming there's a lot of overlap between the two groups, that is still a massive number of people with at least some immunity to the disease. So here's another way to look at it. Deaths from all causes so far this year are now lower in every age group than last year, especially among the elderly. But while the disease has become less fearsome, public perception hasn't changed, or so the fixation on case counts just feeds the public's anxiety. Now, this article says, yes, there are certain areas where hospital resources are being strained at the moment, but overall, hospital capacity is far from reaching its limits. Data from Johns Hopkins University of Medicine's tracking center shows that 25% of intensive care bed, intensive care unit beds in the country aren't occupied. Even in hot spots such as Texas, 10% of ICU beds are available, as are 20% of inpatient beds. 10% of Florida's ICU beds and 16% of inpatient beds are currently unoccupied. And then they ask what I think is the $64,000 question. So why isn't this seemingly good news about COVID making headlines? Well, here's one possibility. The public health community and leftist politicians don't want to give up their newfound powers. If COVID goes away, Anthony Fauci suddenly becomes just another annoying bureaucrat that nobody pays attention to. And leftists who would have been able to boss people around and spend taxpayer money at levels no one would have ever tolerated before COVID are loath for things to get back to normal. And there's also the fact that the current outbreak provides another chance for Democrats to score political points against Republicans just as we saw in the initial outbreak. 
Republican governors are coming under vicious and constant attack for not being sufficiently authoritarian. Despite the growing body of scientific evidence that lockdowns and mask mandates are largely ineffective. And so they conclude at Issues and Insights, power doesn't only corrupt, it's also highly addictive. And the fear of suffering painful withdrawal symptoms supersedes any other consideration. Of course, there is a link to this in the show notes at thebrianhydeshow.com. I would urge you to check it out. Let your eyes tell you, you know, are they, are they being honest? They're, they're using CDC data. So it's not like, well, you know, our, our polling firm, which we own and which is staffed entirely by, you know, people who think like us. No, they're, they're using the government's own numbers. But doesn't it make you wonder why? Why is it always reported with the worst, most scary slant possible? Maybe I'm weird, but to me that speaks of manipulation. Someone trying to play upon our fears. All right, let's shift gears here for a moment. I want to talk for a moment about uh, the fact checkers. I'm seeing this everywhere on social media. And, you know, do you ever notice we really never talked about fact checkers? We never really talked about fake news before our mass media started playing fast and loose with the truth. But here's a question that needs an answer, and that is, who fact-checks the fact-checkers? Philip Magnus and Ethan Yang for the American Institute for Economic Research, by the way, both excellent researchers and writers, have done a nice report on media censorship. And this is very detailed. I won't have time to go into all of it. I'm just saying, if you... If you want to know about fact-checker journalism and whether or not it's wearing out its welcome, you should look at this report. I mean, come on. We have the government working hand-in-hand with social media companies. I believe the word is collusion that I'm looking for to censor misinformation. Self-appointed media gatekeepers. They're just, you know, waiting to exercise their political censorship. It's hard to get good information today, and it's not going to get easier from this point forward. So if you want to see how factual are the fact checkers, I'm going to recommend this report from the American Institute for Economic Research. And and you can draw your own conclusions. I made my mind up quite some time ago. I'll, I will share with you, this is the key takeaways that uh, Ethan Yang and uh, Philip Magnus came away with. They said, truth is best sought through the marketplace of ideas where reason and evidence are the weapons of choice. So when you see fact checkers, for instance, like NewsGuard, who not only fail to uphold their high sounding principles, but even publicly encourage working with government to suppress speech, we should raise red flags. NewsGuard's behavior illustrates the tired idea that during events like COVID-19, we simply do as we're told and not question the government or its experts. And on this matter, they've shown themselves to either be unable to appropriately moderate public discourse or act as little more than cheerleaders for favored political figures and their preferred policy approaches to COVID-19. And it wouldn't be a stretch if they happen to be both. Check it out. It's in the show notes at thebrianhideshow.com. Show notes for August 12th, 2021. Who is fact-checking the fact-checkers? You, my friend, have to become your own fact checker. That's how we solve this problem. This 
is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, once again, we are back. Final segment of this hour of the show. You can always go back to my show notes if you are interested in taking a little bit deeper dive into any of the topics that we cover. And I hope you will. I hope you'll check them out. I hope you'll pay close attention to, you know, the different links within these articles. If that is your goal is, you know, not to to go out and win the argument, but just to simply know more about what we're talking about. And I'll grant you, not every topic is going to be of interest to everybody. That's, That's fine. You choose. But it's, it's so common to see people read one or two articles and then say, well, I've thoroughly researched this and this is what I have found out. I just have the deepest respect for the folks who just, if they really want to know something, they want to understand something, they, they become the autodidact, meaning they become self-taught. They're willing to dig in, they're willing to sacrifice, to work up a sweat, if you will, Mastering the knowledge doesn't mean they need an advanced degree. Well, I'm going to become an epidemiologist then so I can talk about this. But just to dig in and question. This is how you separate the people who are serious about uh, owning their worldview from the people who are essentially acting like baby birds with their mouths open, waiting for mama to come regurgitate some worms into their mouths. What, what, are, what pre-digested sound bites do you have for me today? Plenty of media outlets that are there to, to do that for you. But you're better than that. You know, there's a good chance that uh, sharing uh, the thread from Dr. Martin Koldorf, he was one of the signers of the Great Barrington Declaration, um, his recent Twitter thread on 12 Forgotten Principles of Public Health may just bring out the fact checkers in droves because he is definitely challenging some of the common narratives. But that's a risk I'm willing to take in order to bring a little broader perspective to the discussion. This is fascinating stuff. And if, if you don't want to jump on Twitter, I've included a link to a thread reader app, which basically, since Twitter limits you on the number of characters, you have to be pretty succinct. And Dr. Martin Koldorf, when he outlines these 12 forgotten principles of public health, they put this into a nice, easily scrollable article, complete with all of his links. Which, again, if you're interested in really doing some deeper research, here's a great way to go about it. It's not a given that you're going to agree with him, but at least you're going to have a chance to check out the information for yourself. Dr. Koldorf says, number one, public health is all about health outcomes, not just a single disease like COVID-19. And it's also important to consider harms from public health measures. And he has links to an article here from Collateral Global, analyzing the global impacts of COVID-19 restrictions. Number two, public health is about the long-term rather than the short-term. Spring COVID-19 lockdown simply delayed and postponed the pandemic to the fall. This is an article from The Lancet, a British medical journal, talking about the invisible pandemic. Number three, Dr. Martin Koldorf says, public health is about everyone. It should not be used to shift the burden of disease from the affluent to the less affluent as the COVID-19 lockdowns have done. 
You know, he's talking about the essential people who are out there still being exposed, still being expected to show up for work, while the uh, well-to-do or the affluent could work from the safety of their homes and use curbside, you know, delivery to to bring their, their groceries to them and so forth. Number four, public health is global. Public health scientists need to consider the global impact of their recommendations. Got a great article here about how the virus-linked hunger is tied to 10,000 child deaths each month in Burkina Faso. Number five, risks and harms cannot be completely eliminated, but they can be reduced. Elimination and zero COVID strategies backfire, making things worse. A great article linked here from The Atlantic, Quarantine Fatigue is Real. Number six, Dr. Martin Koldorf says, Public health should focus on high-risk populations. For COVID-19, he says, many standard public health measures were never used to protect higher-risk old people, older people, rather, leading to unnecessary deaths. He's got a link here to a Newsweek article about how we should focus on protecting the vulnerable from COVID infection. Immediately replacing lockdowns with focused protections, which is actually one of the main tenets of the Great Barrington Declaration. The idea being, in a nutshell, that uh, the, the most vulnerable among us should be protected. That doesn't mean, well, then we mandate they lock down and they do that. We simply encourage taking the steps that will protect those who are most at risk, but leave everybody else alone. Number seven. While contact tracing and isolation is critically important for some infectious diseases, it's futile and counterproductive for common infections such as influenza and COVID-19. Number eight, a case is only a case if a person is sick. See, this one strikes me as very important. Mass testing asymptomatic individuals is harmful to the public health. And it also, I think, unnecessarily feeds the fear that so many of these media outlets are trying to feed. When all they can talk about is the cases, the cases, without giving us any context. Okay, well, how many of these cases were people who actually showed symptoms or actually had to be hospitalized? We start to believe that every case somehow, you know, looks like, you know, a person on a ventilator wheezing out their last moments on Earth. I think that's the conclusion we're supposed to draw, but that doesn't mean it's a good conclusion. Number nine, public health is about trust. This is a really important one. Dr. Koldorf says to gain the trust of the public, public health officials and the media must be honest and trust the public. Shaming and fear should never be used in a pandemic. He's got a nice article here from The Hill. Facts, not fear, will stop the pandemic. Point number 10, public health scientists and officials must be honest with what is not known. For example, epidemic models should be run with a, with a whole range of plausible input parameters. This is an article from Stat News. In the coronavirus pandemic, we're making decisions without reliable data. Number 11, in public health, open civilized debate is profoundly critical. Censoring, silencing, and smearing leads to fear of speaking, heard thinking, and distrust. That's from Scientific American, the COVID science wars. And finally, number 12, 
It is important for public health scientists and officials to listen to the public who are living the public health consequences. This pandemic has proved that many non-epidemiologists understand public health better than some epidemiologists. And interestingly enough, the tweet that he shared here looks like it uh, it may have been censored because it's uh, it's not uh, no, not loading up. But the others are. You can check this out. There's a link to this in the show notes. Again, this is just kind of a thread reader, uh, a roll up of all of the different tweets Dr. Martin Koldorf put forth in trying to explain the the twelve forgotten principles of public health. See, I know we're supposed to pretend this is uncharted territory, Brian. We've never been here before. Nobody has any clue what to do with a virus like this. And again, I'm going to remind you, yes, a virus which 99.7% of the people who get it survive. But the truth of the matter is we have over 100 years of public health policies and how to deal with pandemics and it's not irresponsible to suggest that you know the virus is going to do what viruses do, meaning it's going to make its way through the population. Whether you like it or not, whether Dr. Fauci agrees or not, that's what viruses do. And when it has made its way through enough of the population, there will come a point of herd immunity. But for crying out loud, the World Health Organization actually is revising its own definitions. It's like trying to alter reality of what herd immunity even refers to. Back in March of 2020, on the World Health Organization's website, they talked about herd immunity as a type of immunity reached either through vaccination or natural immunity after enough people have had a particular disease. If you were to look at that same entry today, though, it talks about herd immunity as a concept referring to stopping a virus through vaccination. In other words, we stop the virus by preventing it from ever reaching people. Yeah, that's that's not herd immunity. <laughs> Sorry, but it's also an attempt to alter reality. Why? Why is it that uh, the of all the establishments, the ones that we count on to to stay tethered to reality, why is medicine fast becoming a gigantic ministry of truth out of 1984? I don't know the answer to such things, but I'm willing to ask the questions, and I will continue to do so on a daily basis behind this very microphone. Thank you for being part of my audience. Please visit my show notes at thebrianhideshow.com. Subscribe to the podcast. Consider becoming a patron or monthly donor. And please give my sponsors a little bit of love, too. This is The Brian Hyde Show.